Well, good morning, Seabreeze. It's good to be back with all of you today. We, uh, we had a great time away, my wife and I did, and much of the time that we were gone, we were actually off the information grid with no access to the internet or TV, so it's kind of hard to find places like that, but we found one of those and we spent a lot of time there. So this past week, I've been uh, catching up on all the news that I've missed or didn't miss. Uh, we missed the whole Pokemon Go craze. It took me a while to get up to speed on, now what, what is, what, and how does that really, huh? Okay, so we got up to speed on that. We missed um, both the Republican and Democratic National Convention. That was sad. Um, <clears throat> I was, uh, honestly, I was very alarmed to hear, you know, racial tensions seem to have only gotten worse and, and lives have uh, been lost because of that or taken because of that. Uh, terrorism seems to still be uh, a big issue, and it continues to pop up at different places around the world. And to be honest, while the stories that I read this week and caught up on were, were all new, uh, honestly, really not much has changed in the time that we uh, have been gone. Anger is still boiling over into violence. Uh, the political process is still full of all kinds of verbal attacks. The economy is still a matter of concern. Terrorism is still on the march. And the question is, is why? 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 Why do things seem like they just keep getting worse and worse and worse? Well, of course, there's, there's many ways to answer that question. It's a fairly complex question with a complex answer. But over the next four weeks, I want to address one of the causes that Scripture points to, and that is the fact that this world is still full of people who are playing with moral fire. Whenever you play with fire, a lot, of course, can happen. And a lot can go wrong when you decide to play with physical fire. The same thing is true with moral fire. But as we get started, I want to show you a clip of some people who uh, were playing with fire and things got out of hand. So let's take a look at this clip and then we'll continue on. Initiation sequence in five, four, three, two, one. In case you're wondering, those people did get out of the car. The car did not survive, but um, they did make it out of that car okay. Now, I, do you think that any of those people, before they, uh, would have, before they struck that match or lit that uh, lighter, would have done that if they had any idea what was about to happen? Of course not. They would have, would have, would have, would have kept that match in their pocket or whatever it was. They, they were just having fun, and then things got quickly out of control. And that's the nature of fire. It, it can be very mesmerizing. But in an instant, it can turn on you and do a lot of damage. 
My uh, youngest brother's nickname was Pyro growing up because of his fascination with all things fire-related. We'd often find him out in the backyard with a book of matches trying to set something else on fire. One day, uh, he was using the stovetop to melt wax for no particular purpose, just to watch wax melt. And uh, I called him up, my other brother and I were watching something on TV, and we thought he'd be interested, so I hollered out what we were watching. And so he turned the element off, only he missed it by one click, and he left it on high. In just 20 minutes, the entire kitchen burned and almost took the whole house with it. It's, it's just amazing that our house didn't entirely burn down. And I'll, I'll never forget that day when the smoke started pouring into the room. We were watching TV, and panic ensued, and it just was crazy. My, my brother had not, of course, intended to start a fire that would almost destroy our house. He, he was just having fun. He was just playing around like Pyro often did. This is what he would do. In a similar way, there are areas of life that have a fire-like element of danger to them. Now, like fire, these, these areas, the four areas we're going to look at, they, they can provide tremendous power and tremendous warmth and good. But if they get out of control, they can turn on us. And they can do tremendous damage, not only to us, but those that are close to us. So in Scripture, God warns us about four areas of life that, that have this incendiary quality to them that need to be watched very carefully and handled within certain boundaries. And the four, really, uh, these four incendiary areas are what drives most, not all, but most of the news cycle. You can track different news stories to one of these four. And we're going to look at these four. So today we're going to look at words. Next week, on the 14th, we're going to look at money. On August 21st, we're going to look at sex. On August 28th, we're going to look at our emotions. These are the four incendiary areas that, that we need to not just play around in. Because there's, there's a lot of good that can happen, but a lot of damage that can happen. But today, we turn our attention to our words. James chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. So what it's saying is that, that our words can spark forest fire level destruction just like a spark can. Now, last year, there were 58,916 human-caused wildfires in America and burned an estimated little over 2 million acres. All of these fires were preventable. There are other fires that you know, were caused by um, lightning strikes and those kinds of things, but these, these were preventable human-caused fires. Now, of course, here in Southern California, we know all about the damage that one spark can do. I mean, every Every year, there's, there's fires that are ignited. Usually the winds pick up, and we know that the, the danger is there. And oftentimes, some kind of spark or fire is lit, and the wildfires take, wildfires take off, and thousands often are sent fleeing from their homes. Now, the worst fire in California history occurred just 13 years ago. It was a cedar fire uh, in San Diego County. You may remember this. It burned 280,000 acres, 15 lives were lost, 2,820 homes were destroyed. Now, all of this started when a hunter who was lost uh, lit a signal fire to try to let uh, those who were searching for him be able to find him. Now, I'm sure when he struck the match to light that signal fire, he had no idea that this, just that one little spark, that one little match, was going to end up doing so much damage and taking the lives of 15. If he had known that, he would never have struck that match. 
And that's the nature of, of verbal fires. In 1944, the U.S. Forest Service launched the longest-running public service announcement campaign in U.S. history. They announced it to, uh, to get rid of uh, preventable forest fires. Their goal was to reduce the number of preventable forest fires. Now, most of you know who, who the mascot is for this. Who is it? Smokey Bear. Here's Smokey, our friend. And Smokey's message hasn't changed uh, ever since 1944. It begins with these first words. I'll let you finish them with me. Only you, what? See? Smokey's done his job. We know the truth. And only we can prevent forest fires. Actually, they've changed a little bit now. It's only you can prevent wildfires because a lot of the fires now are not just limited to forest, but, you know, brush and different kinds of areas. Now, Smokey's message applies also to verbal forest fires. It's up to us to reduce the number of verbal firestorms that tear so many people apart and so many relationships apart every year. But we tend to view kind of our words like just playing with fire. I mean, it's just, it's, it's small, it's innocuous, it's no big deal. And we don't realize how dangerous it can get. Now, if you want to learn how to prevent forest fires, uh, Smokey has a website, smokybear.com. Here's a picture of the website. You can go to the website, and there's all kinds of ideas about uh, how you can prevent forest fires or wildfires. But if you want to prevent verbal fires, what we're talking about this morning, Proverbs 26, 18 through 21, I think is a great place to start. And this is what we're going to do this morning. In these verses, in this passage in Proverbs 26, God lists three types of incendiary words. Words that have that ability to just spark all kinds of damage. So let's look at these in turn. Word number one is sarcasm. This is identified as the flaming arrow. This is what it says in Proverbs 26, verses 18 through 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death, is one who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Now, something that's preceded with the phrase, I was only joking, we don't normally think of as arrows of death. But that's what this passage is saying. What this is talking about is anything that you say that could be followed by the words, oh, I was only joking, or just kidding, or I didn't mean it, is most likely sarcasm. Let me define sarcasm for you. Sarcasm is the attempt to be funny at the expense of someone else. There's some more nuances to it, but that's, I think, one of the better summaries of what sarcasm does. The material that's used in sarcasm are the oddities or the flaws of other people. Now, if you want to get a good view of, of what sarcasm looks like, you just can watch late-night comedy. And that's about 80-85% of late-night comedy is just humor at the expense of someone else. And it, it can be pretty funny, laughing at the oddities and the flaws of other people. Now, some of you may be like me, and you find that sarcasm comes rather naturally to you. Um, growing up, for me, with two brothers, I not only wrestled with them physically, but I wrestled with them verbally. You know, three, three boys, we learned very much how to make fun of each other and therefore how to make fun of other people. And I would venture to say that in many respects, uh, sarcasm, uh, I know sarcasm probably better than I know English. There's parts of English where I'm not sure know what, what's the spelling here, but I know, I know sarcasm. I know, I know it well, sadly. So if I'm nervous or if I'm trying to be funny, sarcasm just begins to flow naturally from my mouth. But the reason sarcastic words often have to be followed up with the phrase, I was only joking or just kidding, is because they hurt. Those witty words really hurt. 
In fact, our English word for sarcasm, sarcasm comes from the Greek word sarx for flesh, and it literally means to cut the flesh. So the idea is that, that words of sarcasm are, are, ver- are the verbal equivalent to taking out a knife and just stabbing somebody, cutting them, breaking the, the skin. It, it, it really hurts. Now this just kidding phrase, the reason we say just kidding after we've said something sarcastic is because we're, we're trying to cover up, we're trying to deceive, as this verse says, what we really just said. And the, the phrase, I was just kidding, really covers up two very hurtful facts about sarcasm. Fact number one is this, sarcasm is a put-down. It's a put-down. When we are funny at the expense of someone else, we are raising ourselves above them, and we're treating their flaws or their differences as something to be made fun of, something to mock. And that hurts. Now, if they have the good sense to pick up on our arrogance, and they are offended by what we've just said, then we just try to make it all go away by saying, oh, just kidding. Now, where's your sense of humor? Don't, don't be so sensitive. So it's kind of like taking a knife, stabbing someone, and say, what blood? You know, hey, be tough, toughen up. And, and we cause them to, you know, be in this bind of, well, I, I want to have a good sense of humor, but I think you just slammed me. That really, really hurt. So we say, just kidding, as if, just kidding, is kind of like a magic wand that can make the words into something that they really aren't. Our 4th of July w- was very different than the ones we normally spend here in Huntington Beach. We were in New Market, Iowa, uh, population 205 for 4th of July, and we went there because we'd heard that that's where all the festivities in southwest Iowa happened for 4th of July. And so we parked and we came up on a tractor pull. I'd never been to a tractor pull had no idea. And so here's a picture of the tractor pull that we came up on. And it was, it was fascinating. I mean, I think Rebecca and I just sat there kind of with our jaws open for most of the time, just what is, what have we stumbled on? What is this? It, it was just a fascinating thing. Now, I was telling staff about this event on Monday. We had a staff meeting and I was, I don't know why I was telling about this, had no point other than to be funny, which is kind of when you know you're get, about to get in trouble. And so I was describing this and I moved, I, I crossed the line from describing, you know, this event to beginning to make fun of this event and the people who were at this event. And in my heart, you know, my conscience was tweaked pretty quickly. But I spent the next full day saying, oh, no, just kidding. No big deal. I was, I, I was just being funny. Everyone was laughing. But God said, no, you... You were putting those people down. Those are people that I love, people that are made in my image. They, they may have grown up in a different place than you. They may talk a little different than you. They may look a little different than you. But th- there's no difference when it comes to how much I value them. And you, you just, you got to laugh at their expense. And that makes me sick. So after 24 hours of saying, oh, just kidding to myself, just kidding. Can a, can a person have a sense of humor? Those kinds of things. I finally realized, no. God wasn't going to let me off on this, and I had to go back to the staff and apologize and ask for their forgiveness for, for being sarcastic. So sarcasm is, is a put-down. We, we cover it up with laughter, and everyone's laughing, especially if the people we're making fun of aren't there. It doesn't seem like there's any harm. I mean, no one from that tractor pull was in the staff meeting, so they'll never know what I said. 
And we just kind of covered up with just kidding, but it, it's, it, it's a put down. The second deception about sarcasm is sarcasm can be a cover up. What I mean by that is this if there sometimes are problems in a relationship that need to be discussed, rather than have an honest conversation about the problem, we tend to resort to sarcasm as kind of a cover up of the problem. You know, for example, let's say you're married and maybe you need to talk about finances with your spouse. Well, if you're married, you know that's that's rarely a an easy and uh, conflict-free and enjoyable conversation. That's a very difficult conversation. But there's a lot of financial issues that need to be discussed. There's some problems, and, and, and it needs to happen. But rather than say, you know, we need to carve out some time to, to sit down and see if we can kind of figure this out, rather than being honest about the problem, what tends to happen is we tend to get sarcastic. Maybe at a point of financial tension, you might say something like, well, it's so, it's so great to be rolling in money. That's a little sarcastic statement because you're not actually rolling in money. And the person realizes, oh, is is something wrong? And your response is what? Just kidding. Nothing, just kidding. And so it makes the other person crazy because they're thinking, is something going on? Oh, no, no, I'm just joking around. Well, it seems like I'm... No, no, just kidding. And sarcasm is then used as a cover-up. So why, the question, why is sarcasm a flaming arrow? What's so hard and and devastating and wrong about sarcasm? Why is it a flaming arrow? Well, in ancient times, the flaming arrow was used to destroy a city from the inside. Most ancient cities, you know, had the, the significant stone walls around them, and an arrow against a stone wall made no impact at all. You could shoot arrows all day long at that stone wall, they just, boop, they just bounce off. But if you would light an arrow and launch it over the wall and onto the structures of the city, it could start a fire in that city and the city would be destroyed from the inside out. What this is referring to is the same kind of effect that happens, can happen on relationships that used to be used for flaming arrows. You see, at the inside and and center of every relationship is trust. That's at the very center of a relationship. Without trust, the relationship is destroyed. It falls apart. And so every time you say something that's followed with just kidding, uh, just, just joking around, every time you say something that's followed by that phrase, it's, it's a flaming arrow that damages trust. And it starts an internal fire inside that relationship. For example, on Monday when I was telling staff about this tractor pull in Iowa and I moved into sarcasm, what I was, when I was being sarcastic about the good people of rural Iowa, I was actually damaging trust with my staff. You know why I was doing that? I mean, I wasn't talking about them. But what they knew is, okay, Bevan enjoys generating humor at the expense of other people. So I better be really careful to not let Bevan see any, any of my oddities or see any of my flaws. I, I, better, I better have my act together around Bevan. I, I can't really open up my heart to Bevan. I'm not saying they made a big decision at that point, but it, it, was a, it was a move in that direction, a move that damaged the trust. Because I was revealing that for a, for a laugh, I'm willing to put people down. And so you just never know when you might be the next piece of material in my next act. That's why it damages trust. 
And there's lots of people that do it. I mean, I'm, this is something that God has continued to work on me. It's just, you, you just need to cut out the sarcasm because it just kills trust. It just erodes trust. I mean, if you've grown up in a family of sarcasm, boy, that just, it just really eats at your kids. If, you, if you've generated a sarcastic family, boy, your kids are just, <sighs> they're really nervous because they never know when they're going to be the next comedy act. So let's move on now to the second incendiary word, and that is gossip. Gossip in Scripture really is the wildfire. Sarcasm is the flaming arrow. Gossip, gossip is the wildfire. The next verse, Proverbs 26, 20 says, Without wood, a fire goes down. Without gossip, a quarrel dies. Let me define gossip for you. Gossip is talking about others with someone who is not part of the solution. In other words, if you're having a conversation, a negative conversation about some fact about someone else's life, and, and, and you're not a part of the solution, you're not their boss in the company that's dealing with this problem, you're not their parent, you're, you have no responsibility for the solution, then what, you, what you're doing is in talking about this other person behind their back is gossip. It's plain and simple. Another test on this, if you want a real easy definition, is ask yourself this. If the person I'm talking about or in a conversation about walked up, would we stop talking about them? If the answer is yes, mm, most likely you're gossiping. If they would walk up and you'd say, hey, I was just saying some amazing things about you. I'm glad you're here to hear this. Keep on talking. But if you're talking negatively about somebody else and they walk up, it goes quiet. That's why if you ever walk up to conversation, it goes quiet, you're, uh-oh. You guys are talking about me, right? I mean, gossip was going on. This is pervasive. For many people, this is the vast majority of every word that comes out of their mouth. It's something negative about somebody else. And it's dangerous. It's, it's a wildfire. You know, if, you, if there's a wildfire that moves through our area, um, you know, on the news you'll often see after the wildfire has gone through, you'll, you'll see the tearful interviews of people who are sifting through the rubble of what used to be their homes. And what they are grieving is not so much the structures. Usually what they're grieving are the memories, the times with family, the, the things that happened at that house, because that house became a home. And a home takes time. You, you can reconstruct a house, but to build a home, well, that, that takes time. And that's really the way relationships are. Relationships take time to build. You, you can get another friend. But if you've got someone that you've known for years and you've got a history and you've got memory, that's a precious thing. And gossip can burn that thing to the ground just like that. Now, you may be thinking, oh, they'll never know what I'm talking about them. Don't be so sure. You really want to light that match? You really want to take the risk that that firestorm isn't going to come back and destroy that relationship? I mean, gossip firestorms don't make the news, but if they did... If you interviewed someone who's just been a part of a gossip firestorm, you'd see pain on their faces as they're looking at the rubble of friendships that are no more. I mean, it's painful stuff. Wildfires need two things to turn a spark into devastation. They need wind and they need fuel. You know, wood, brush, in order to burn. Now, the fuel of gossip is the rumor. It's the negative content. They, did you hear so-and-so did? That's the fuel. The wind is the number of lungs that get behind the spreading of that rumor. So whenever the Santa Ana start blowing and it's dry, 
we know that there's a fire risk because it's windy out there. Lots of wind just takes a spark, and all of a sudden there's devastation. So the question is, how, how do you stop a gossip firestorm? You find yourself in the middle of a conversation, and it's a gossip firestorm. How, how do you stop it? Well, you address the two things that cause firestorms, the fuel and the wind. First of all, the, fu- the wind. You, you choose not to fan it. You choose not to add your lungs to that firestorm, to that rumor. You know, fire is coming. You yell fire because devastation is on its way. You, you, don't, you don't have a lot of time. Now, when, when you find yourself in the middle of a gossip, it's that kind of urgency. Now, I don't recommend that you just yell, gossip! <laughs> that may get real awkward. But I do recommend that you, you take it that serious. And, and you immediately, you, you, you step out of that conversation. Have the courage to speak up and, and just say something, I, I'm just not comfortable with this conversation. Now, the reason we don't do that is because we know the moment we step away from that, well, then we become lunch, right? We become the conversation. But hey, that's the risk you have to take. You don't want to add your lungs to this kind of devastation. So that's the wind part. Choose not to fan it. The second is start a backfire. This removes the fuel. You know, our, our words have the power to do really good as well as tremendous damage, just like fire. Fire can do a lot of good as well as damage. A backfire is lit in front of a wildfire to remove the fuel. So that when the fire gets there, there, there's nothing more to burn. So how do you do that in a gossip firestorm? Well, one of the best ways to do it is just to say something positive about the person. And if you've ever tried this, you'll know it just, it just kills it. Now, again, the risk is they're going to be upset, and you might be the next topic of gossip the next time this group gathers. But that's a risk you have to take. But if you're in the middle of, did you hear about, and did you know, and can you believe, and whatever all is going on, and you say, you know, I'm actually really impressed with the way this person has handled this part of their life. I was talking to them recently, and I, I, I think that was really neat. What's going to happen in the conversation? You know, it, the fire's gone. So that's gossip. Now let's look at the last one, quarreling, quarreling. This is the kindling, the kindling. Proverbs 26, 21, the last verse says, as charcoal to embers, or as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Now I learned early on, it's appropriate, I I timed the fire engines to drive right by right now as we're talking about fire, so (laughs) it's a good chance that's going to happen a few times in this series with the center right down there. But I learned early on in my uh, fire-making experience that the key to starting a good fire is kindling, proper kindling. Because you can't, usually, you can't just take a match to a log and expect, uh, you know, a good fire. It has to start with something smaller and easier to light. The same thing is true with relational fires. People don't usually just suddenly explode and go off on each other. The fire usually begins... First, with the, the piling up of some kindling around the base of that relationship. And then it's only one spark away from a firestorm. And as this verse is saying, the kindling in a relationship is the quarrel. Let me define the quarrel for you. A quarrel occurs when the top goal is to make your point. Another word for it is argument. When all of a sudden, in this relationship at this point, your top goal 
is to drive your point home and to get them to see and agree with your point, most likely you are engaged in a quarrel. Because the reason you're so focused on that is because they're so focused on getting their point home to you. And so the two of you are quarreling. You're arguing. Before it's over, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. When you're in that mode, you're just piling up kindling. The problem with a quarrel or an argument is relationships are, are more like a team sport. They're not an individual sport. I mean, a relationship is at least two people. It's a team sport. And if you play in a team sport, if you play football, for example, there's no individual winners or individual losers. Either the whole team wins or the whole team loses. But when you treat relationships as I'm going to win this argument and they're going to lose this argument, you're undermining the entire relationship because relationships are a team sport. Many of you probably remember the years when the Lakers won their three championships, 2000 to 2002, and it was largely because of the dominance of who? Kobe and Shaq. Remember those years? Seems like a long time ago when the Lakers were that dominant. But it was really because of the two of them. I mean, there was others a part of it, but the two of them together in those years were just unstoppable. But then what happened? A quarrel developed between Kobe and Shaq. Many agree that Kobe won that quarrel because he stayed with the Lakers and, the Sh and Shaq left. But who really, who really won and who really lost? Well, the team lost. And really, Kobe lost and Shaq lost. I mean, many agree that the Lakers should have won at least five championships and maybe more with the two of them together. If they could have just put that quarrel down the team could have gone on to dominate for at least two more seasons. But instead, things unraveled and had to be rebuilt. So if, if you're in a relationship and if getting the other person to see your point becomes your top goal, you're, you're just piling kindling at the base of that relationship. And you may win the quarrel. You may finally get the point home and they may finally say, okay, I see what you're saying. And you've won. But at the cost of really doing damage to the team the relationship. I've seen this happen in marriages. You know, after years and years and years of just arguing and quarreling, suddenly one spark comes and the whole thing just goes up in smoke in a matter of months. And everyone's like, oh, they were married for 20 years. What happened? Well, it didn't just happen. There, there were years of arguments, all kinds of kindling, and it was just waiting for a spark. The best tactic to prevent against a fire is to clear the brush from around your house. That's one of the big things they emphasize here in Southern California. Not so much for us here close to the ocean, but if you have a home anywhere near the, the mountains, the hills, well, you, you have to regularly clear away the brush. And that's what this proverb is saying in a relationship. If, if you want to prevent verbal forest fire, verbal wild, wildfire, you've got to continually clear the brush. I mean, brush just keeps, quarrels just keep popping. You've got to continually clear that away. The question, though, is how? This is where it gets really hard for people, especially in marriages. How do you stop arguing? How do you, how do you get rid of these quarrels? Well, let me share with you a verse in Proverbs that's been very helpful to me on this. Proverbs 17, verse 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. This is painting a, a rather, I think, hilarious and and somewhat serious image. It's the image of two people at the base of a dam. So we'll show you the picture of the Hoover Dam here. So just imagine two people at the base of the Hoover Dam having a jackhammer competition. 
That's what this verse is talking about. That is not the place you want to have a jackhammering competition. But when you start quarreling, that's what's actually happening. You're trying to win. You're, you're <coughs> driving your point home. And you've just, all you can see is how much point you're making and how much point they're making. And you're just trying to drive your point home. And you're not realizing, wait, where are we? Is that the Hoover Dam? Is that a crack now forming in the base of the dam because of my jackhammer activity? We better stop doing this right now. That's what this verse is saying. The reason is because there's something far more important going on than winning the argument or winning the competition. What's, what's happening is the relationship is at stake. You're standing in front of a person. And every point that you win at the expense of the other person is putting a crack in the foundation of your relationship. And so in the end, it doesn't matter who wins because you're both going to lose simply by having that competition. So this is very profound. So what do you do? Drop the jackhammer. <laughs> Drop the matter. Two suggestions that come out of this simple phrase, drop the, drop the matter. First of all, just take an immediate time out. When you can sense that your emotions are ramping up and you're, you're getting ready to make your point strongly and you're going to win, this is the drop part. Let it, just drop it. Drop, drop the jackhammer. In other words, you, you know that the next thing you say is only going to make it worse. So just stop talking right now. Stop it. Don't say another word. Just drop the jackhammer. Stop talking. Now, you may need to create some physical space. I don't recommend that you just storm out in anger, you know, and walk out. But, but say, you know what, I, I, I want to talk about this later, but right now I, I just need some time to kind of calm down. I don't think it's good for us, but we'll, we'll talk later. But just, just stop it. Stop the conversation when you can tell that you're getting all riled up on the inside. Take an immediate time out. And then listen to their heart. You know, first in the immediate time out, you know, listen to what's going on with you, but then listen to what's going on with them. What do you drop? The matter. That's what you drop. What's the matter? Well, that's the issue, the problem, the thing you're arguing about. You step back from the issue that you're arguing about so that you can what? Look up at the dam. Look at the person. What, what I've got here is I've got something much more important than just this problem, just this issue. I've got a relationship here. They're far more important than whatever point I'm trying to make. Something is going on inside of them. Something's going on in their heart. What is that? The moment you become more curious about what's happening with this person you're arguing with, then making your point, all of a sudden now you're looking up at the dam and it's like, who cares who wins this competition? And we'll, we'll have to come back and figure some things out here, but this is, this is very insignificant compared to this, this dam. This, this relationship means so much more. Something's going on in the heart. You, know, you don't have to figure out everything that's going on in someone else's heart. You can't even figure out what's going on in your heart. But just get curious about them. When they become more important to you than making your point, you know what happens? This is really interesting. Whatever the problem was is now easier to address. Once someone knows that you actually care about them more than winning the argument, you're able, the two of you are able to make more progress on whatever the matter was, whatever the problem was. But if we pick up our jackhammers and start, we're just putting cracks in the foundation of that dam, and boy, 
devastation can follow if we just keep doing that. So back to Smokey Bear. Only you, only you can prevent forest fires. Only you can prevent verbal fires. Now, you can't stop every verbal fire. You can't control what people say to you. You can't control what people say about you. But you can control what you say. We have the ability to do that. You and me, we, we can stop launching the flaming arrows of sarcasm that erode trust. Now, I know it's really hard. You got it all loaded up and, oh, this is a great one. Just ease it back. Don't zing. Don't let it go. Just let it go. And if you're like me, you're going to have to find out some other ways to be funny. But that's about the only way I knew how to be funny. You can do it. You can work on it. You can stop fanning the flames of gossip that destroys friendships. I promise you, you will have opportunities this week. You will be in a gossip firestorm, whether it's on social media or whether it's live and in person. You'll be in one, and you'll have a chance to stop fanning the flames of gossip. You can remove the kindling that's piled around your relationships and put a quick end to the quarrel just by dropping the matter and looking up at the dam, looking up at the relationship and valuing that more. Now, we've been talking about words that destroy this morning, but as I've said, like, like fire, words have a tremendous ability and power to do a lot of good as well. One of the most helpful kinds of words that you can speak are words that point people to God. If you've been around Seabreeze this summer, you know that one of the things we've been working on is, is trying to, to really carve out the time in our summer to look around us and invest in the people that God has placed in our lives who are not part of any church. See if we can be of real help to them. And our hope then is to be able to strike up conversations, invite them here to Seabreeze, strike up conversations that might point them to God. And so I, I say this because we've been talking about what not to do, but this is something really positive you can do. And as James mentioned, our last summer night uh, deal is coming up this Wednesday, and I have not been able to be a part of any of them, so I'm looking forward to being at this one Wednesday night. But the chance, you know, just to have a lot of fun on campus. So I would encourage you to invite those that you've been investing in this summer uh, to join us for our last summer nights. Now I've got some next steps for you to consider as we begin to wrap up today. These are on the back of your connection card, at the bottom of your listing guide. And these are uh, dealing with each of these three types of words. And I would encourage you this week to pick one of these and focus on it and try to address. So here's the three. Number one, address one flaming arrow, one piece of sarcasm. Now, preferably before launching it. But if you launch it like I did, then address it by going back and asking for forgiveness to the person or in my case, it was, it was an apology tour as I went around campus and apologized to everybody. But, but address one, one flaming arrow, one, one phrase of sarcasm. Disengage, number two, disengage from one gossip conversation. I, I can almost guarantee you'll have that chance. Disengage from one gossip conversation and drop the matter in one argument. I can pretty much guarantee you'll have a chance for that too. Drop the matter in one argument. And ask a question. So tell me what's going on with you. Set aside whatever, what's happening with you. Drop, drop the argument. We are the ones that can begin to turn the tide. People are just letting, whether it's on social media or in person, people are just, they're just, <laughs> words are just flying everywhere. And devastation abounds. 
we can turn that around. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words to us that have, they speak just exactly to where we are. This week, we will, we will deal with sarcasm. This week, we will encounter gossip. This week, we will, be, we will find ourselves drawn into an argument. And we tend to take these matters as something that's you know, very small and insignificant. But you know that we're lighting matches that could start fires that could just do so much damage. So we ask that you would remind us of this when we're in the middle of these situations and we have words on the tip of our tongue like sparks that are about to ignite a a firestorm. God, help us to stop. Help us to set these aside and begin to, to change the very nature of our own relationships. We ask for your help in doing this. And we pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.